0: Warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And also joining me today is Dr. Peter Kapsner. as we're continuing our Sunburnt series. is something we so enjoy throughout the summer. And today we're going to talk about neuroscience and Christianity. And I can hardly wait because our guest is so unbelievably smart that I, I tried to read the book and uh, it's very accessible. Just so you know, if you're interested in brain science, this is going to be a great book for you to get your hands on. The book is called Am I Just My Brain?, and Sharon uh, Durex is our guest. She is uh, got her PhD in brain imaging from the University of Cambridge, and, and uh, is currently a senior tutor at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Uh, well-known speaker, author, and an uh, incredible uh, giftedness when it comes to explaining what's going on with our brain. Sharon, welcome. Hi, great to be here. Thank you. You know, as, as I started in the book, my one of my first thoughts was where do I start? Uh, and then fortunately, in your book, you, you raised the question yourself, where should we start? I
1: thought, <laughs> oh, good,
0: this is going to work out better than I thought.
2: <laughs> well, you know, we start at the beginning. And that's, uh, I think, the quote of a song, isn't it? The very best place to start.
0: So. Exactly. So am I, here's the question. Am I just my brain?
2: Well, in short, not to give too much of a spoiler, um, the answer is no, um, oh good. but of course, I take a few thousand words to to say why that is the case um, yeah, I mean you know the, the the starting point for the book was to to outline the kind of the one of the positions that that is held, which says that you know everything um, that there is about you as a person. Um, is to be understood purely through the, the neurons and chemical and electrical activity in your brain. So um, the personality that you have, the choices that you make, the behaviours that you exhibit, even the religious beliefs that you may or may not have, these are all dictated by the activity in your brain. Um, Now, that's not the only view out there, but it is a very vocal view and it seems to get quite a lot of airtime and it's being expressed both in the academy, but also at a popular level. And so it seemed um, a a good idea to try and address this and to address it in a way that is accessible to the everyday person um, who may not be a neuroscientist or a philosopher, but wants to be equipped to respond to this objection.
0: Mm -hmm. Sharon, when we talk about neuroscience, can we say that a definition, and I'll read this right out of your book, that neuroscience describes what is going on in the brain in beautiful detail and is the obvious go-to discipline to answer questions like what is a brain and how does the brain work? But the question, what is a person, is very different. So maybe we can distinguish those Mm 2
2: absolutely and this kind of distinction comes up all the time in the more general science and god conversation because what the sciences do very well and what neuroscience does very well is study the mechanisms in the natural world and and that that is its domain it is to explore uh, nature and to kind of come up with explanations for all kinds of natural processes but when you people start to um, assume that science can answer the question, so every question that we have, or certainly questions like, well, what are we as people? Then you could argue that that is pushing the discipline of science beyond where it was intended to go. Um, if you want to understand what a person is, you need to be bringing in the, um, you know philosophy and theology um, you can't just answer that using a, a discipline that looks at physical processes. Um, yeah. And so um, what is a person is a very different question that arguably the sciences cannot answer and were never intended to answer. But of course, part of the reason for writing this book is that the explanation, the answer to the question, what is a person? according to those that hold this view, is that a person is is a brain. <laughs> you know, you are your brain. Um, everything about you can eventually be pressed through this particular filter of the, the, the thing that sits inside your skull. And of course, you know, we don't have to think about life and even science for too long before we realise that, that that's really offering a very diminished view of a human being. And we are way more complex than simply our brains, and there's a lot more to us than that, and I can unpack what I mean by that.
1: Yeah, Sharon, I'd love to hear more, because uh, your background had you study in the brain up close and personal, and, and uh, at the risk of being maybe slightly morbid, you have actually seen a human brain, and I'm guessing that that has impacted your view that we must be more than just this brain in terms of our personhood.
2: Yes, um, I mean, it was a, a deeply sobering and kind of you know, an extraordinary privilege to uh, attend a neuroanatomy course um, several years ago, actually in the States, uh, Marquette University in Milwaukee, which is where I was doing a postdoctoral research. And, oh, sorry, I wasn't um, at Marquette. I went to Marquette to do the course. I was at MCW just down the road. Um, And, yes, I mean... Uh, On one level, the human brain is extraordinary. I mean, it's more developed in humans than in any other creature. It's packed full of neurons that are connected to thousands of other neurons and sending um, impulses at speeds of over 250 miles an hour. Um, And you know, at any one time, your, your brain is generating enough electricity to power an LED light. I mean, it's this extraordinary wow. melting pot of chemicals and hormones and neurons. Um, but it's obviously a very different thing to say that everything that it is to be a person can be explained entirely in terms of the brain, that that's just simply not the case. And that's why I tried to unpack in Am I Just My Brain?
0: Mm-hmm. Sharon Dirks is our guest. She's written a book called, Am I Just My Brain? And it's a, uh, discussing the relationship between neuroscience um, and Christianity. I know we're going to get to that a little bit later in the interview. Uh, we actually have five copies, four copies of Sharon's book to give out to a lucky listener. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877 2484 Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. When we talk about the mind and the brain here, and I know that's kind of the million dollar question is how they're related. How do we get from neurons to thoughts? So I've got a neuron on my brain. How does it develop into the thought that says, I want to go play tennis before dinner?
2: Right, well, and this is really the heart of the whole conversation because we don't just have a brain, a physical brain, we also have a mind with all of its thoughts and feelings and emotions and memories. And and how you get from one to the other is really the heart of the whole conversation. And it's by no means straightforward. And there are many who wouldn't call themselves Christians at all who recognise that trying to trying to get to what it's like to be you, you know, to get to consciousness or conscious awareness from physical building blocks is an impossible task and it can't be done. Um, And uh, of course there are many attempts to, to cross this chasm. um, But, you know, yeah, it's not a foregone conclusion that physical building blocks can explain people. I mean, one of the ways that I try to explain it is 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 to say, look, if we were to um, try and uh, take a. Figure out what it's like to, to try and do an experiment to find out what it's like for you to record your next radio program, for example. And so while you're on air, we attach an EEG cap to you and we measure the brain's activity on the surface of your scalp. And then perhaps um, later on, we put you in an MRI scanner and take some functional scans of your brain and some structural scans. That would give us some very interesting data from your brain, but would it tell us what it's like for you to record your next set of radio programs? Well, it wouldn't, you know, to find out that kind of information, we have to ask you. Um, accessing your brain tells us one thing, but to find out what it is to be you, we need, uh, we need to ask you. And so this is another way of trying to show that brain activity and Conscious awareness or the mind um, is are two very very different things, and one is not equivalent to the other.
0: Mm-hmm. Sharon, I'd love to talk about some of the views that are out there. I know one very popular view is that the mind is the brain, and another one is that the brain generates the mind.
2: Yes. Absolutely. And so the view that says you are your brain is essentially saying that the mind is the brain, which is kind of another way of saying there isn't really a mind, there's just a brain, Mm. Um, which is another way of saying there isn't really anything that it is like to be you. There's just brain activity. But, of course, this is an absurd way of thinking about human beings. Um, Firstly, on a logical level, the person expressing the view is kind of saying, look, my first-person perspective on the world is that there is no first-person perspective on the world. Um, And, of course, that collapses at a logical level. It doesn't make sense, you know. And of course, we 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 also know that the mind is is powerful in its impact on the brain. Such that if the brain was the whole story, we wouldn't really be seeing the effects of such a powerful mind. Um, you know, we talk about the power of positive thinking, or we have cognitive behavioural therapies and different counselling techniques that help people to change their patterns of thought precisely because of the powerful effect they have back onto the body and the brain. Um, and, you know, at, a, at an everyday level, we know that, you know, even sports matches are lost and won, not just on someone's ability, but on what's going on in their head, in their oh, yeah. thought life. And, you know, and this is why, you know, the apostle Paul in Romans tells uh, people that we need to be renewed, uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind, precisely because the mind is su- such a big deal and has such a powerful effect on the body and on the brain. So really, we don't need to look very far in life to see that there must be more to it than simply chalking everything down to neurons and chemicals and cell voltages. Mm-hmm. I could, do you want me to say more about some of the other views as well?
0: Um, or, or... I, I think we'll pick that up after a short break, Sharon, yeah. if you don't mind. I'd like to hear on some of the uh, the other views. I think it's fascinating. Um, so we'll get to that after uh, the break. Uh, Dr. Sharon Dirks is our guest. She's written a book called Am I Just My Brain? We have four copies to give out. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877 933 8-4. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the brain. just joined us for talking about the brain, which is a a fascinating topic, the neuroscience and Christianity. Dr. Sharon Dirks is my guest and she's got an incredibly uh, brilliant mind for understanding this and communicating it. And we're trying to learn about some of the different uh, options that are out there, some different views. And we uh, chatted a little bit about the more modern view, which the mind is the brain. And then there's also the other alternative view that others say that the brain generates the mind. And we're going to eventually get to uh, how the soul fits into all this. But uh, Sharon, maybe you'd give us another option.
2: Yeah, certainly. So there is the view out there that, yeah, as you said, the brain generates the mind or the mind emerges from the brain. So what this view says is that when a number of different building blocks come together, something new comes into being that is greater than the sum of those original building blocks and that can't be reduced back to those original building blocks. And uh, a bit like uh, if you take a film, you know, a film has a cast and a, a soundtrack, a director, a script and so on. Um, but when you watch the film, the film is like the sum total of all of that. And it's also an experience, which is more, it's greater than the sum of those original components. Well, this view is essentially uh, offering that perspective. You know, it's an interesting view, but the problem that it faces is, well, how exactly does the brain generate the mind? And especially if we live only in a material universe where all you have to work with is physical building blocks we come back to this problem of the mind is actually very different to to the brain they're two very different things and so how do you cross that chasm um, but of course there are some um, christian theists who hold this view but in their case they wouldn't be saying that the universe is entirely 100% material. It's, there's also, you know, God exists, and therefore there's hope for crossing the chasm if God exists. So that's that's one, um, another perspective on this. Um, there is another perspective, which is um, uh, what's known as substance dualism, um, which says that there are two, um, substances, you know, the brain is a physical substance and the mind is a non physical substance. And these two can exist independently, but they do interact very closely. But of course, people that hold that view then have to answer the question well, how exactly does a physical brain interact with a non physical mind? How do we get our heads around that? And how do we understand that in the light of? The fact that the sciences are clearly showing these two things working together very, very closely. You know, changes in the brain do result in changes in the mind and, and vice versa. So there are lots of different ways of looking at this and there are other views uh, than these as well. But uh, it's it's been an interesting journey to, to at least look at these different perspectives
1: Sharon, do you find one of the views more reliable than another? Would you modify a view? How would you articulate the, maybe the most faithful view of the relationship between the brain and the mind? Yeah,
2: so I, I would um, actually want to say that, yeah, I think that there are aspects of each view and others that I haven't yet mentioned either that are helpful in the conversation. But in terms of, um, you know, the, the biblical perspective of human beings is that we are integrated physical and spiritual beings but the the word that i would use to describe us is holism h-o-l-i-s-m you know that we are integrated and you know there have been various um viewpoints down down through the ages that have tried to separate out the body from the the physical from the non-physical you know you've got all kinds of gnosticism but actually the biblical view is that um, you know god created the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life the ruach, the spirit of God and the man became a living being But and that's Genesis 2 verse 7 but the word, the Hebrew word for living being is nefesh and that's the Hebrew word for soul so that he became a living soul, the combination of matter plus the breathing in of God results in a soul and so here we begin to see that, that the, the Hebrew notion of soul is actually incredibly integrated um Rather than a platonic view of soul being this immaterial part of us that one day will float off to heaven to be with God, so integrated holism is that the human is the view of humans, but in addition to that, we can also say that Jesus physically bodily rose from the dead, and so there's clearly a dualism there because we will survive the physical death of our bodies, and there is more to us. Than simply matter, and so, uh, and so there are actually aspects of all of these different views that can be helpful to some extent. But the biblical view kind of cuts across all of them and says, no, we're integrated, but we also that there is more than just the physical in this world, and and of course we know that because the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, is breathed in. Uh, at uh, at the moment of creation, but then also in a very unique way
0: in the beginnings of the Church. Sharon, can you talk a little bit about the brains relative to men and women? Is it the same hunk of brain?
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, this is not an area that I have have studied, actually. So I probably wouldn't be best placed to to be commenting on these things, except to say that I'm sure that there are just as there are differences behaviorally, and there are different traits, um, I'm sure that there are differences in in reflected in the brain as well.
0: Uh, Because I know in the book, you have talked about um, artificial intelligence. And that's also something in in chapter three, uh, that I found interesting as I was going through your book, maybe you could share a little bit about that.
2: Yes, um, absolutely. Um, You know, this is one of the Applications that makes this such an important question, because you know the answer that you give to the question, "Am I just my brain kind of impacts what you believe in theory would be possible. Using AI one day because if if the human brain is a machine and if humans are machines, then in theory we are uh, replaceable artificially because we can reconstruct using silicon and um, uh, the same mechanisms and structures that we have organically. And so, of course, this is a is a huge area, and you know we're interacting with certain forms of of AI all the time, um, but of course. Um, those that are experts in the field would distinguish between narrow AI and um, uh, artificial general intelligence. Narrow AI being where a machine has competency in a a very specific task where it has been kind of pre-programmed and we see that you know ai can do all kinds of extraordinary things like you know dispose of bombs dispense drugs detect cancer combat crime and all kinds of things you know ai has been indispensable but this is a narrow ai and most of the success at the moment is in that area and it is a very different thing to speak of um uh, an algorithm possessing human consciousness and we are simply not not anywhere near to being uh, able to even get close to that um there's you know just because an algorithm appears to be conscious which we can often come away with the impression of when we interact with Siri and Alexa and Google all the time at home and we're asking them questions, we're getting answers, it can give the impression that there is a a person in there. But it's one thing to be able to output um, the right answer that you've been programmed to say, but it's quite another thing to possess an inner life where you're aware of a sense of self and you possess consciousness Um, reflexive self-awareness those are two very very different things and at the moment the field of ai is in the area of narrow ai where humans have programmed uh, uh, machines and and androids and algorithms to perform very specific tasks but they're not at the stage where those are about to supersede human ability or or even possess human levels of consciousness
0: Mm -hmm. any author that um talks about a Terminator movie in a book, has my interest. So <laughs> sure. that was interesting.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I think it slightly ages me, right, that, I, no. that I'm that i talking about. Ages us. Don't worry, Sharon. So, <laughs> I saw a photo of him the other day, and it makes me feel very old, to nah. be honest. Yeah, we're right.
0: rowing the same boat. All right, we'll take a little break. We have uh, four copies of uh, Sharon's book called Am I Just My Brain? As we're continuing to talk about neuroscience and Christianity, uh, Dr. Sharon Dirks is my guest. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. More with Sharon in just a minute. It's the
1: afternoon show. Get it started Jump in your car yeah. what's for dinner yeah. it's the afternoon
2: show with Bill
0: if you just joined us thank you for uh, tuning in today we're talking about your brain and you all think well that probably needs some explaining we've got just the person to do it Dr. Sharon Dirks is our guest she's written a book called Am I Just My Brain and we have four copies of her book to give out uh, to four lucky people. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. as we discuss neuroscience and Christianity. Uh, one question that Peter and I have, and Dr. Peter Kapschner is here with me as well as this is our Sunburnt series, and we're interested, Sharon, if you would talk about consciousness. Uh, now, I know there's some theories. One says that Brain science can access consciousness and explain it entirely. And another says that consciousness is illusory. Would you talk about that?
2: Absolutely. So I mean, consciousness is, as Thomas Nagel put it in 1974, there is something that it is like to be you. So we might say that, you know, consciousness is a property of the mind or the soul that kind of sits in, under that kind of umbrella. But there's something that it is like to be us, that actually the physical sciences that make objective downstream measurements can't really access in quite the same way that we can as individuals kind of bearers of our own consciousness um maybe if i just uh, explain a little bit more about what it is you know imagine i think i use the scenario of a coffee shop you know in the book you know you walk into a coffee shop and you you know you, you you're aware of a you know a, a baby in the corner who's a little bit unhappy a bit hungry maybe and you can smell the coffee um, being made and um, cappuccinos and so on and and you know you're uh, aware of the work you've got to do you're thinking about a phone call from yesterday with somebody that is all kind of in your conscious awareness and there's something that it is to be you and it's the same you today as it was yesterday and uh the day before and so we have this inner life, this inner reality, if you like, sometimes a stream of consciousness, Um, there's something that it is to be us. And the whole conversation is trying to say, look, brain chemistry cannot access this. Um, This is a a subjective, uh, experiential thing, uh, whereas the sciences are kind of making objective downstream measurements and one cannot give you access to the other um, and so there are those that say yeah we it's really hard even to to access one person's consciousness um, let alone try and explain what it is um, but of course there are those uh, as you mentioned um, that that make the case that there there is no such thing as consciousness it's it's an illusion and, and one proponent of this view would be Daniel Dennett, a philosophy professor at Tufts University and I guess, he, you know, again that he, he is essentially voicing the view that there isn't anything that it is like to be you it's actually... It's just a kind of a, a, a trick of the mind we think that there's something that it is to be us but there isn't really there's just brain activity but but again we end up in a very kind of difficult place both philosophically and in terms of life in general because if that is the case then how can we trust anything that anyone says how do we know that um you know Dennett's mind isn't also tricking him into holding the particular view that consciousness is an illusion how can we trust the very mind with which we draw that conclusion and it becomes impossible to say anything of meaning at all according to this viewpoint and of course anything that we express from the first person anything with the art that you know the word I in it is meaningless according to the view that consciousness is is an illusion Um, And even Illusion, if you think of it in terms of, you know, watching a magic show, you know, illusion is where you are, um, the, the what's going on in front of you. You misinterpret what exactly is going on, but you still need to be conscious and aware of it in order to misinterpret. So you could even argue that consciousness presupposes illusion. It still undergirds even illusion itself. And so there's a lot that's wrong with this view. Many agnostic and athe- atheistic philosophers have said this is just a crazy perspective, Uh, to hold, and it doesn't make sense philosophically or of life in general.
1: Mm. Sharon, there's so many different views and ways to understand brain, mind, and and consciousness, and yet many Christians claim that they're somehow experiencing or hearing from God somewhere in their brain, mind, consciousness. And so I know you begin to address that in your book. What are we talking about when we say that people are hearing or experiencing God? Is that happening in the brain, in the mind, soul, consciousness? If you can kind of start parsing that out a little bit.
2: Yeah, definitely. So there are all kinds of really interesting studies now showing people engaged in different um, religious and spiritual activities and measuring what's going on in their brain while they're doing it. And, And of course, what we see is all kinds of networks in the brain are active when people are praying or meditating and so on. And of course, this might cause some people to think, <clears throat> well, maybe then that means that the religious experience is just in your head or literally in your brain and therefore not genuine. And secondly, maybe it means that that God doesn't exist, you know, that actually it's all just in your, in your brain. But of course, uh, there are lots of problems with that. Firstly, that the experience isn't genuine i come back to this this notion that human experience and brain activity are two very different things now clearly religious experience and all experiences are mediated through the brain but that doesn't mean they begin and end in the brain and doesn't mean the brain is the experience or the experience is the brain activity that that's to misunderstand what it means to be a conscious being and it certainly doesn't mean that um, that actually the the being that you're communicating with doesn't exist just like you know there are all kinds of studies measuring uh, people in a state of romantic love that are out there in the literature you know you you can look at all kinds of reward networks that are lit up in the brain when somebody is in love But of course, people wouldn't say, well, now that we know that there's brain activity when you're in love, that must mean that love itself isn't genuine. Of course, we wouldn't say that we would say that it's because they're in love that there's activity, but it's a very different thing to be in love compared to having brain activity. These two things are different ways of looking at it. And of course, we also wouldn't conclude that the spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't exist the fact that there's a relationship there in the first place is why there is brain activity and it's really no different with religious experience we uh, um christians don't need to be afraid of this kind of data, it's actually exactly what we should expect. If we are integrated physical and spiritual beings, we should exactly be seeing activity in the brain when we pray. In fact, we should be more concerned if there's no activity in the brain <laughs> when we're praying. Um, and so we don't need to be afraid of this. And it doesn't call into question the genuineness of the experience or the existence of the bigger relationship with a with God or or with uh, the person of Jesus Christ
1: because Sharon some people do object but it, because they say hey you can just uh, strap some electrodes on the brain and you can s- stimulate those areas of the brain that we see light up when people are praying or having a religious experience and and they can simulate that through brain stimulation but just because that happens doesn't mean that we're not having an authentic experience with god that is also being measured or seen in the brain on some level.
2: Exactly. That that simply is a reflection that there are, you know, there are brain regions that are involved in these experiences. Um, And, you know, one philosopher, you know, mentioned that just just imagine you can stimulate the brain to generate uh, an image of an apple. That doesn't mean you call into question the existence of all apples. That simply means that you've highlighted a, a a network or a part of the brain that is correlated with this kind of activity. But that doesn't undermine all of the activity itself. That's to misunderstand that just because something is mediated by the brain doesn't mean it begins and ends in the brain. And that's the error that is often made by saying that the brain is the whole thing. And that's just not the case.
0: Sharon, we have about three minutes before we need to take a break. But I'd love for you to talk about what's happening in the mind and the brain when there's, you're, you're in the middle of a religious belief or practice.
2: Well, I think what the literature is showing is that, um, you know, neuroscientists used to talk in terms of regions and brain regions, and there was a region for this and a region for that. But actually what they talk about now is networks, and those networks can be recruited from all kinds of areas across the brain. Um, One thing that people sometimes say is that, well, I just, I'm not a religious person because I don't have a, the right machinery in my brain mm-hmm. to to be to be religious, but actually the kind of areas that are recruited in in uh, you know these uh, different types of religious experience are a little bit like the kitchen table in in my in my home. The kitchen table, yes, is used for kind of eating meals around, but it 's also used for you know, my children do their homework around this table. We've done various craft activities on it as they've grown up, and we've held meetings around this table. And so um, the areas that are recruited in religious encounter are if you like areas that are involved in all kinds of other things in the brain and what does this mean it means that everyone has the brain machinery that they need it's not that some people have a religious brain and other people don't everyone has everything that they need and it actually really comes down to what do you what do you choose you know how do you make sense of who Jesus said he was and, and do you, you know, does it make sense to you? Do you believe it? Have you looked at the evidence for yourself? Have you asked God to, you know, make himself known to you and that sort of thing? So I feel like that the neuroscientific data is very helpful to us in that regard because it can take a lot of the the kind of misnomer out of the conversation that some people are just wired for religious belief and other people aren't. That is simply not the case.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. Mm. I love in your book you, you talk about just the way the brain will fill in the blanks when you have like your experience when you were a kid getting up in the middle of the night thinking you saw a, a cat in the corner. You never had a cat and you screamed and you woke the family up and it was just a toilet brush. I do find that the, the brain is so fascinating because it will race to fill in blanks that are not there because I guess is that what it does?
2: That is one of the arguments that that is made. I mean, your brain is kind of active all the time. And and one argument is to try and explain religious belief in terms of this kind of tena that's out there looking for patterns and kind of super attentive, and it's just prone to errors. But actually, you can trust a lot of that intuition, and we see that because actually, you know, there isn't a nation in the world where there isn't some sort of religious tradition or belief in fact a variety of religious beliefs across across all kinds of traditions and that tells us something you know that Mm -hmm. we're not just kind of super alert and trying to kind of spot pattern there's something in us that is wired to think beyond ourselves we can trust these antennae yes occasionally they do make errors but if if the context is a normal one we can trust our our intuitions
0: Dr. Sharon Dirks is our guest she has a PhD in brain imaging from the University of Cambridge and she's written a book called Am I Just My Brain? We have four copies of her book to give out to lucky listeners all you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484 again 877-933-2484 talking about that connection between neuroscience and Christianity we'll be right back with Sharon in just a minute We're talking about your brain today. I'm so glad you uh, tuned in. Dr. Sharon Dirks is our guest. She's written a book called Am I Just My Brain? And we are um, have four copies to give out. Text the word book eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. And what is And what are we wired for? Uh, Peter and I were chatting during the break and I uh, appreciated you, uh, Sharon, talking about being Uh, wired for God. And what about being wired for grace? I mean, grace is a supernatural concept, and we kind of live in a world of quid pro quo, kind of goes against the grain of of grace.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this all kind of comes from the sort of perspective that that there is an innate tendency towards religious belief. And actually, that is kind of helpful in terms of uh, Christianity, that we can sort of look at different You know, people around the world and see, yeah, there just seem to be something that makes us want to search for more. But there are some aspects of Christian belief that are very unnatural, that you can't simply look to kind of cognitive psychology to explain and as you say grace is one of those things that that is incredibly unnatural it goes against the grain we live in a world where we love with conditions you know if you are invited to dinner you invite the person back if if they um, forget your birthday you politely forget theirs even though you did remember we just live in a world of conditional love even though we speak of unconditional love really we're quite conditional and yet the love that that God uh, shows us and the way that the love that he demonstrates in the person of Jesus Christ is a love that is in spite of us, not because of us. And it's the love in which he initiates with us. And, of course, this is one of the ways in which um, Christianity is incredibly unnatural, and it kind of breaks the mould of kind of natural religion and trying to explain things cognitively. And, of course, the most unnatural aspect of Christianity is the resurrection. Dead people ought not to get up again and (laughs) and start walking, and yet uh, that is exactly what Jesus did.
1: Sharon, I'd be curious what you'd say about um, the situation in which somebody's brain maybe isn't uh, working in, in ways that would be common or usual. Maybe somebody with Down syndrome or if somebody is in a coma or as a result of an accident and there now is, is some brain incapacitation. Are they losing their personhood somehow? Are they, what is happening in this moment?
2: Yes, and this is a great question and it's, it's why this is such an important topic because if it's true that we are just our brains, then if the brain is, you know, is not fully developed or is, is damaged, then there's something about the person that is impacted by that. But if we are more than just our brains, then it is possible for there to be a a you, an us, um, a me, that is intact regardless of what is happening to our our body and brain. And this is uh, of increasing relevance as we live in a society with an ageing population and where the instance of dementia and Alzheimer's is, is on the rise. You know these kind of conversations impact what sort of lifestyle should that person have? How should they be cared for? Or do we believe that there's still someone in there that is to be treated with dignity and respect? And and actually, this is where the whole view you know the being made in the image of God that has undergirded human rights uh, right from the beginnings of of the church. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, the application of that into what it means to care for people uh, with these things. In terms of engagement with God, I would actually want to say that we have so much to learn from, you know, perhaps um, those with... um, who who are not uh you know in, in a full kind of do not have a, a full kind of brain capacity or a full adult brain capacity whether that is a, a child or somebody who has a a disability or or um you know someone with down syndrome there's something about That we have much to learn from them because maybe there's some, some kind of the filter that we put on our religious behavior and our religious engagement perhaps is lifted off. And I'm reminded that if we are more than just our brains, then the state and condition of our brain is no barrier to God being able to reach a person and to engage with them. And he engages with us where we are at, regardless of the condition Our body and brain, and that to me is so encouraging, and it's so exciting to know that anybody can know God. Mm, Love
0: that. Mm, That's great. Dr. Sharon Durex is our guest. Her book is "Am I Just My Brain?" We're talking about the connection of of your brain uh, with our faith, and we are as believers, Sharon, and many who are listening, know in their heart of hearts that we are made for more than this world. So, when we talk about our brain, we, we have an eternity set in our heart that our mm-hmm. brain, our mind will one day be in the presence of the Lord, um, s- sands our earthly body. Um, but I would, uh, I would love for you to, to continue that discussion as we sort of start to wrap up our time as, you know, just a, a, a sort of a, an encouragement to listeners to say, yeah, God's got, amazing things uh, planned for our minds.
2: Absolutely. And I love that verse that God has set eternity in our hearts. And the way that I wind things up in Am I Just My Brain is to say, look, even if we have this really elegant neuroscience of consciousness, which I hope that we do arrive at, there will still be some questions that science can't answer and was never intended to answer. Questions like, why can we think in the first place? And um, why do we have a mind at all? And of course, you know, if if God doesn't exist, then conscious beings are slightly anomalous. They've sort of arisen out of this non-conscious universe of time plus matter plus chance. But but if God exists, then conscious beings is exactly what we would have ex would expect because we didn't start with matter. We started with a conscious being known as God, and that being, uh, you know, God has created everything that we see and has created the human race as well and and so we think because God does which means that to be a christian is to be a thinker and not because it's a good idea, but because you're made by a God who thinks, <laughs> who has a mind, who is a conscious being, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And, 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 and so, um, and it's through that conscious awareness and through our mind that we actually really think those higher questions that led us to religious belief and through which we engage with God as well. And, you know, to be born again is to actually have the Holy Spirit breathed into all of those aspects of what it means to be human, body, soul um, and mind. You know, the Holy Spirit breathes into all of these things, a little bit like a deflated balloon becoming an inflated balloon. Suddenly, all of those things take on new dimensions and new, new aspects to them and new life. And uh, we're told that that is the beginnings of eternal life and that actually it starts now and it will continue beyond the grave. And one way or another, there will be consciousness in eternity of, yeah, there will be consciousness and uh, it will be integrated physically because the new heaven and the new earth, just as Jesus rose bodily from the dead, we will be physically and spiritually integrated in the new heaven and new earth, just as we are here but of course it will be so much bigger and so much better and we will be made new and you know I'm encouraged by the verses that although we are outwardly wasting away in this life inwardly we're being renewed day by day and and that one day there will be everything will be made new Um, and that is just such a source of hope, especially with all the challenges that we face, wrestle with and struggle with as people, that there is incredible hope for those that believe and trust in Mm. Jesus Christ.
0: Beautiful, Sharon. Sharon, uh, do do you get many people that say to you, so how can you be a scientist and believe in God at the same time?
2: I do. You know, it's a question that I'm really happy to continue to go on answering. I mean, this is a question I yeah. myself asked because I didn't start out my scientific career as a Christian. Yeah. I started as an agnostic that assumed that these two things were not compatible. Mm. And I in my very first week of university, of college, I went to what's known as Gorilla Christian, where they had these four Christians in a panel and you could ask any question and I asked that one and I was given the answer that actually, well, it's a bit Bit like asking someone to choose between these two reasons for Microsoft Office one is the the underlying programming languages and the other is the existence of Bill Gates and of course you think about that for a millisecond and realize we don't need to choose between these two things one is describing the undergirding mechanisms the other describes the one who whose idea it was and who started it and Actually, if you try and understand Microsoft Office just in terms of the programming languages with no reference to Bill Gates, you end up with a diminished understanding of it. And it is the same with the sciences and with the world in general. It's this incredible way of studying the natural mechanisms in the world. But it is in no way um, incompatible with belief in God who started it all and set it all in motion and continues to uphold it today and so i actually changed my views about halfway through my biochemistry degree and i became a christian and i returned to my lectures and hearing about all of these incredible mechanisms but i also was in a relationship a friendship with the one who was behind it all and the combination of those two things was extraordinary
0: yeah sharon what a delight you have uh made this so interesting and I so appreciate Peter and I are so glad to have had you on the show thank you for taking time to be with be with us it's a pleasure thank you for inviting me Dr. Sharon Durex has been our guest her book is Am I Just My Brain four copies to give away text the word book to 877-933-2484 that's all the time we have have a great night everyone see you tomorrow